No. What's your least favorite scary movie? What the heck is up? Welcome to What's Your Least Favorite Scary Movie, the podcast where we talk about our least favorite aspects and most debatable opinions of our most favorite scary movies. We fight over our favorites. My name's Jesse. And my name is Travis. And today we are talking 2011's Cabin in the Woods, which, fun fact, we now own on DVD because our cat ate the internet over the weekend. Yeah, the entire internet. The entire internet. Um, she uh, chewed up a cord. So that was fun. Yeah. But thanks to Half Price Books, we now own Cabin in the Woods on DVD. And we got some some fun uh, special features. Yeah. And at this time, it's not streaming anywhere. So if you do want to watch it, you have to rent it or you have to do what we did and try and find it someplace. Yeah. I think our plan was originally to rent it via Prime. Yeah. So. Like we do. That's but it's do. nice to own it because this movie is like an instant classic, a modern classic. I think so. I don't know if other people think so. Well, that's the fun of what we're going to do today. Because we uh, we had a request for this movie. Hi, Morgan. And uh, we, we decided it would be fun to cover it. But neither of us really wanted to take a strong stance against. I think there's both there's little things that we can both probably pick out with this. As we, as we do even in the movies that we, we love. But we decided that we're going to try something a little different. So after we go over a recap of the movie, we're going to we're going to fight the Internet. Also, this is kicking off a whole two month event that we're doing. Yeah, we're covering exclusively Cabin in the Woods movies for the next two months in honor of summer. I don't like the way you said exclusively. Oh, well, never well we're, we're going to we're going to. Some of them are going to be our interpretation of Cabin in the Woods. We make some stretches, but I mean, what best than the Cabin in the Woods to kick it off? You know, at least we're yes. right on it there. All right. So the Cabin in the Woods first premiered in 2011, but had its wide theatrical release in 2012. It was directed by Drew Goddard, who for me is uh, most notable as having also directed four episodes of The Good Place. Didn't he do? Uh, don't. Oh. I know what you're going to say. Don't oh. say it. Okay. It was co-written by Drew Goddard and Joss Whedon, who got to know each other through their work on Angel and Buffy together. I said that like it's like a single show. Angel and Buffy. Angel and Buffy. That should um, be like the, <laughs> the next show if they ever do. Yeah. So actually they found out. Um, they found out. They Joss Whedon had the idea for this script. He said, like, towards the end of uh, like yeah. Buffy and Angel run. Mm-hmm. So he had, the like, the full idea for the script. He knew beginning, middle, and end. And him and Drew decided that they were going to actually lock themselves in their own cabin in the woods. He called it um, a bungalow rental, I think. Yeah. Bungalow hotel room. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and they wrote the whole thing in three days. Like, basically the whole thing. Obviously, revisions and stuff were needed. But, but... it was something that was... Like on their mind for, I mean, almost a decade. So I can imagine it was easier for them to go into this having already thought a lot of this stuff out. So, because I mean, you think somebody writing an entire script in three days, you don't really think that that's going to get you quality stuff usually. But no, this time they kind of knocked it out pretty fast and it's all solid. 
I also just thought this was a fun little side note. So when they first the first draft was written, they wrote the character of the director kind of more gender neutral, but in their heads thinking maybe it would be a man. And then they're like, well, no, maybe it should be a woman. And Sigourney Weaver was their first pick for the role. And she was super, super stoked to do it. She was actually super stoked to be in a scene with a werewolf. And I just thought that was interesting because... It kind of ties into a fun little fact about Alien, which is when the script was written, it was just written, you know, last names. So like Ripley um, to keep it, you know, whoever came in and auditioned for the role and fit the role best could get it. And so I think that's kind of interesting how that ties in a little bit. Um, the film stars Kristen Connolly as Dana, a very new to the scene Chris Hemsworth as Kurt Anna Hutchinson as Jules, Fran Kranz as Marty, Jesse Williams as Holden, Richard Jenkins as Sitterson, and Bradley Whitford as Hadley. There was a budget of about $30 million with a worldwide gross of about $69 million. So we'll go ahead and we'll do our pre-discussion rankings. And I mean, we can't get a pre and post discussion ranking from the internet. So I'll just read the IMDb rating. It was a 7.0 out of 10. Seven. Mm-hmm. That's still good. So what is your ranking of this? Nine. Nine? Yep. I'm going to go with eight and a half. Okay. Which gives us an average of 8.75. All right. So the opening credits start off. We see a blood tribute type ceremony happening. Just for a second. And then we go straight into um, water cooler talk with Sitterson and Hadley talking about uh, some fertility issues the Hadleys are having and how they're already baby proofing their house. Just kind of a little little generic chit chat, which I could honestly, I, I could listen to Bradley Whitford do that all day long. I, I had no qualms with this opening scene. And uh, if IMTB is to be believed, then this was uh, intentional on the writer's parts to make audience members think that they have walked into the wrong theater. I was just about to say that. Like, watching this from the very beginning, we watched this in theaters when it first came out, and I was completely blind on it. I just knew that it was called Cabin in the Woods. So whenever we first started off watching this, I was really caught off guard because it's just like these two dudes in a lab just talking about, you know, babies and shit and... But then you get like that giant title card that's just cabin in the woods, like it takes up the entire screen or screen with the screen. And I don't know, it's amazing. I really like the way that it kicks off. Um, I thought it was also kind of really interesting because it, there, this is one of those movies that really you benefit from watching it more than once because you pick up on things that you might not have picked up on before or that maybe you did pick up on before but didn't make any sense before. So there's like little... Little lines like Stockholm cracked, just the Japan and US are left, who have the first and second world records respectively. Um, then the US hasn't had any glitches since 98, and we have no clue what's being talked about at any point. But once the title card has come up, we realize we are in fact in the correct movie, and we wonder what we've gotten ourselves into, because I think this movie has one of the last trailers that was really, really done right, in yeah. that you don't know what the movie is. So I think I yeah, think that's it's made entirely to make you think that it's all purely a cabin in the woods movie. You don't know any of the behind the scenes stuff that's going on. Yeah, but um, we're we're gonna be spoiling stuff right off the bat just because it's gonna make As talking about these things easier. Yeah, <laughs> makes everything make more sense. For example, we see Dana is uh is in her 
what looks like a college town apartment. Yeah. Um, packing for a weekend away. Uh, she sees a sketch of some dude who is apparently uh, her professor who also dumped her via voicemail. Email. Email? Mm-hmm. That sounds more modern. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, he's a real piece of work. And she's uh, apparently getting set up by her friend Jules and her and Jules's boyfriend, Kurt. They're bringing an extra guy along on their weekend away. So here's where I start having questions right away. Okay. <laughs> so at the, at the end, um, because this whole thing is supposed to be they're going to Kurt's cousin's cabin in the woods. And at the end, Dana and Marty are sitting there and Dana's like, you know, I don't think Kurt even has a cousin. Yeah. Which makes me wonder how much meddling has been going on for how long? It's been a while. To make this sacrifice happen. This is an annual sacrifice, right? Yeah. So well, I don't know if it's annual, but yeah, I think it's annual. Pretty sure it's annual. But it definitely is. It's been something that's been going on because during the scene... Jules comes in and is talking about dyeing her hair. Yeah. And then later on in the movie, they talk about how she dyed her hair, like has chemicals yeah. in it that makes her become the dumb blonde type thing. Yeah. So that that's that's one of the things because she was like, oh, you decided to do it. So apparently she had been tossing around the idea of dyeing her hair for a while. So I posit that these government entities have been like putting a lot of targeted advertising to her. Like and making suggestions of going blonde and things like that. So I think I can see how that could happen. What I want to know is, oh, oh my god, oh my god, maybe the professor actually didn't break up with Dana. Maybe, um, maybe the government like you know sent it from his email. That's true. It could you know, kind of like nudged along, so that way she'd be all heartbroken, and they'd bring along the extra person. Maybe they transferred the other dude to the school too. Oh wow. Okay, I like this. I like this theory. Yeah. Um, but what I really want to know, Travis, <laughs> if your mom was like, hey, uh, cousin Richard just bought a cabin and said you can stay at it for the weekend with four of your friends, what is your response going to be? Uh, well, I'm from the South and we got lots of family down there, so <laughs> I wouldn't question it at all. There's all kinds of family members that I hear about. I'm like, uh, sure, yeah, that's my cousin, I guess. Okay, but are you going to go stay at the house of this person that you've never met and possibly never even heard of without anybody else you know going? Are you not going to feel at least the little tiniest bit weird? If I'm in college and I'm wanting like a cool place to get away on spring break or something or fall break, I think that... I probably wouldn't question it. I would be like, awesome. That's a cabin to go down to to have fun with my friends for the weekend. Yeah. I don't know. It's family. So I can be like, yeah, it's my family. Whatever. We'll be cool. And then I want to know if Kurt's dad already had the Rambler. I think so. I suspect because he seems like he comes from a sporty type of family. Like he talks about rock climbing. He's got the whole dirt bike thing. Let's talk about jumping hills and stuff. With yeah. The dirt bike. But then... That means that his parents also had to have been convinced that this cousin exists. It wasn't just Kurt finding out about this cabin. The parents also had to be like, oh, yeah, Cousin Richard's cabin. That sounds legit. Sure, you can borrow the Rambler. Yeah, maybe they, I mean, 
it really does make you think whenever you look into it how much the government had been meddling in with everybody even people surrounding them yeah so uh, i don't know um i thought this was like a nice little bit too where dan is trying to pack her textbooks because this whole this does a lot um just like this this 30 seconds of screen so it's got jewels like being like okay well you don't need these books for this weekend but you get this like nice banter between her and kurt like who taught you about books? I learned them from you. Okay, like we get that nice um, reference to mm-hmm. that to that um, PSA. PSA. Thank you. I was like, I could not remember. Oh, I didn't want to say ad because it's <laughs> yeah. not accurate. Um, but we also get this conversation between Dana and Kurt, where he's like giving her a lot of insight about the professors. So like we see that they've all because these were like not standard textbooks it wasn't like intro to psych intro to economics it was like russian theoretical something or other like it was it was you know a it's not higher like the professor wrote that stuff it was yeah it's like yeah. pre-existing books that they're studying yeah so we get to see that these are all people that take their academia seriously they take they value like a playful relationship with one another, but also a helpful relationship with one another. And that's really important as we start to see behavioral changes later on. It's more important. That was definitely meant to get that for Kurt. Later yeah. Because of how he starts to behave. Yeah. Yeah. We see that with Kurt and Jules in particular. Yeah. So. Yeah. You don't really get much of that with Holden. Yeah. He's just kind of uh, it's like, yeah, it's the new guy. And, you know. He's here and we're setting you up, but, you know, no pressure, but, you know, we're going to make uncomfortable remarks about the entire thing, the entire trip. Now, this is how we're introduced to Holden, to is like a jackass move on Kurt's part, going to be honest. He throws the football through the window out into the street where Holden catches it and it's nearly a wreck. Yeah, it's... It's kind of weird. That was kind of a jackass moment. It seems kind moment. of out of character for both of them, honestly. Yeah. And Kurt, eh, not Kurt, uh, Holden, he's supposed to be the scholar. Yes. But there's no lines between him or anybody else that gives you a hint that he's the scholar. He's just a transfer and he's really good at football, apparently. Yeah. I I think truly he, they picked somebody that Kurt got to know and they could justify him being smart. I think, I think truly, yeah. Well, no. You don't think because, um, because I think they had to fill their roles a certain way. I think if Kurt hadn't gotten all, um, like, jock stereotype or whatever, then it wouldn't have provoked Jules as much. And Jules had to be the first to die since she was supposed to be the designated, like, horror no. sacrifice. I guess, yeah. I, I Because, um, yeah, they mentioned that Kurt's, like, he's on full scholarship. He's in... What is his major like economics? Sociology. Sociology. So, so, something uh, economics. Yeah. I, I think that if we had kept him as the brain and they hadn't been like slowing down his cognition and upping his libido, I don't think that it would have been as effective to get Jules out there first. Maybe, yeah. I guess they kind of just had to work with yeah. what they had there. Well, I mean, that's like what they said with Dana at the end, the virgin. And she yeah. was like, I'm, I'm not... No, and they're like, well, we work with what we have. Um, And and like with Holden, too, I think they tried to, because they talked about, you know, scenario change-ups once he covers up that one-way mirror in his room. I think they did put that to be some temptation to her or make him 
ha- give him some temptation towards her or towards Dana. But yeah, basically they're trying to set up the typical types of scenarios you see in these types of movies. Yeah, I get the tropey characters. Yeah. And then there's um, Marty. Then there's Marty. Oh, Marty. Um, he's got like a four foot bong. <laughs> Disguised as a coffee mug, which is amazing. Yes, and whole it's functional. Speci- there's a whole special feature dedicated to Marty's stash, where he goes over all of the weed props for the movie. And they had he went he broke down how this thing operated, and it's amazing. Like, yeah, they actually made an operable mug bong, but apparently it's super expensive. So if you find one out there, I'm sure it's going to be super expensive. Any <laughs> smokers. Yeah. Yeah, he actually had to do like a two-hour prop rehearsal where they practiced uh, rolling joints for the film and he learned different techniques and they, um, I forget what it is they used in the uh, prop joints, but I know they did add tobacco, which was specifically to make it smell better and give it a more smoky look. Yeah, make it smell better. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought that was really interesting and it also talks about uh, where his secret, secret stash was because... Uh, the whole thing falls apart. He is not being affected by any of the chemicals that are being pumped into this cabin. Um, and of course, you're sitting there and you're like, well, why didn't they just lace his weed? They did, but they missed his secret, secret stash. That makes sense, and it's never explained, but I always thought it's just because he is high that he sees through the bullshit. It is like there is a tiny, tiny throwaway line when everything right before um absolute pandemonium strikes uh where they're like he had a seat he had another secret stash that they missed yeah i remember him catching that but yeah but there must have been something because like they had like a little pouch and everything for his secret stash and fran said that uh fran said that it's um it has to be in the pouch so it doesn't make the rest of his stash (laughs) jealous yeah i like that's definitely like stoner yeah stoner mentality (laughs) um but anyway we see them all get into get into their camper we've gotten our proper exposition and we see an agent on the roof reporting that they have uh they are off and we flash back to the government agency and we meet this new security guy named truman he's going to be hanging out with citizen and hadley uh he has been briefed this is his first year his first mission they ask if he's ready and he says uh i've been thoroughly debriefed on everything they're like that doesn't mean you're ready which uh I think I think we see he really <laughs> didn't fully understand the scope of something. And I think that's an important distinction to make too because you can say that, "Oh yeah, I I get what's going to happen. I've been told what the process is." But then to actually see something up close and personal like this, especially something that this really is kind of vicious in and of itself, this yeah. whole setup. It's all about killing people. Yeah, it's all about setting up violent horrific deaths with just enough plausibility to say they brought it upon themselves. So it's like also victim blamey on top of that. And in the worst kind of way, because like it's barely them choosing anything, you know, it's circumstantial at best. And nobody deserves to die just because they read a diary. They're like, they're making a movie. (laughs) They're basically making a horror movie for Mm -hmm. the ancient gods of the earth. So they've got their cast and they're getting them all to behave in a way to where they're all the stereotypical characters of a horror movie. In this case, a Cabin in the Woods movie because we see from all the other shots of various things going on across the world, you have different genres going on like 
Japan had like a J horror thing where it was like a ring girl or a grudge type thing where they have a ghost terrorizing a whole school classroom of little girls. Dude, I want to watch that movie. I do too. I want to watch a lot of these movies that they're doing there. But I think that's really cool. You know, it's just basically they're making a horror movie for the ancient gods. Yeah, and it makes you distinctly aware that we're meant to be the old ones. We're the ones that are thirsty for these blood sacrifices. Yeah. So that's a fun little bit of a mirror being held up. (laughs) Uh, Then we get this nice little scene, which um, Drew and Joss said really kind of set the tone for them for this film. Uh, where they've got this gas station, really, really old, very stereotypical. And I think it's funny that they talk about how old it is because you love seeing an old gas station set up like that because it reminds you of how isolated people are. But it's hard to see gas stations that old nowadays. Yeah, you, 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 you can, can still, right you do, place. yeah, you yeah. can still see them in the right place. But I like that they really drive home the point that this is like not a typical situation for them to see. They're way outside of their own comfort zones. Um, so it's like, this doesn't take cards. And they're like, maybe it doesn't even take gas. Uh, it's a barter gas system. Yeah. I, I liked this too because uh, Marty was kind of a good friend because the harbinger comes out. Mordecai is his name. Uh, he comes out and he's doing his usual bullshit about nothing good, where you're from and where you're headed to and all this. He actually calls Jules a whore at one point, which is not cool. And that's where Marty kind of... Um, yeah, it's Marty. No, it's yeah, Marty. No. Uh, Kurt. Yeah, somebody asked something about, like, how long have you been here anyway? And he was like, since the war. And he's like... Which one? And somebody says... As Marty's like, the one Bro- with the brothers <laughs> the fighting one. brothers, gray and blues type four. <laughs> I love it. But it, like, my point is, Marty's a good friend. He just wants to stand up. And I was thinking about this earlier today. Uh, Marty, like, nobody really says anything mean about each other in the film except for Kurt after he's been gassed basically yeah because they're all good friends yeah they're all good friends and they're not just good friends and that we see them spend time together on the screen like we see these little interactions that they have with one another where they really do truly seem to care about one another um and i like that we get we get to see marty immune to all of this throughout all of it so that way we can see like do you think he would have been playing into tropes for this too because i feel like this is still kind of a trope type thing in his interaction with the harbinger here because you, you always have the one comic relief character that is, he's the fool. He's like, yeah. he's making jokes. He's just, you know, joking about the entire thing. He's talking about, you know, the railroad will come through one day and that'll be big for you. I think it would have become a lot more, um, you know, the type of stoner that's written by a person that doesn't ever hang out with stoners. I think that they're all just like, hey, man. Like the sisters from Sleepaway Camp too. Yeah. Wasted. Wasted. <laughs> because that's what everybody says when they're drunk. <laughs> Um, that's what everybody says the next morning when people ask what did you do last night yeah exactly yeah (laughs) but yeah i know i think he would have been like wait you know like that hole where he gets distracted by the pop tarts uh later like i think it would have been all dialogue like that okay i can see that so i think we, we got we got some people who did some very thorough research when they <laughs> wrote some of this. They made it sound like they yeah. were experienced. The guy made an operating bong. Um, I do also feel like it's interesting because they put all of these totems in the basement, right? Um, but here at the gas station, 
the Harbinger has referred to it as the Buckner place. So it feels like it's already set up. About that. Predestined to be the Buckner. For them to get that? Yeah. Um, I mean, you could, uh, I think that is just one that fits the story, like the backstory of that cabin, but anything could have happened. So they just happened to pick the one that actually had a history there. Because all the other ones are just random things like zombies, ghosts, whatever, you know? Yeah. But anyway, after the Harbinger uh, calls back to the headquarters. My favorite scene. Yeah, this is the scene that I was talking about where they said this is the tone of the movie that we really want. Yeah. Because he's given his whole ominous message, like, which is weird because the, the government guy is like, they're yeah, all yeah. there. You know what I mean? Like, they're all, they, they're in on it. Yeah, this guy's really getting into his role, though. And he's like, oh, man, I'm on speaker. <laughs> That's rude. I don't know who's in the room. He's like, okay, okay, I'll take you off speaker. And then he doesn't. So Mordecai goes back into his whole, like, harbinger monologue. And then people are laughing again. He goes, man. <laughs> uh, but then we see that there's a force field because we just kind of see a little bird fly into it. Yeah. That's um, the first hint. Well, not the first hint, but that's like one of the major hints that, you know, there's something going on. I mean, you kind of have an idea at this point, but I don't know. Seeing like the force field is like a whole other thing. It gives you an idea of how extensive it is and how much money and technology has been poured into it. Yeah. It's not just that they're following these people, you know, because at this point we haven't heard them talk about... Um, any of the pheromones or the cognition slowing chemicals and the hair dye or lacing the weed. Like we haven't heard any of that yet. We just know that these government people are watching this group of kids and there's going to be some major shit going down. And like, that's all we know at this point. Yeah. I like that they don't break everything down for you. So there's always this little bit of ongoing mystery about what really is happening. Yeah. Um, and then we pull up to a cabin that is very like Evil Dead. Looks exactly there's, like yeah, it. Yeah, there's so much Evil Dead vibes throughout this whole film. Um, they actually, so they did do some outdoor filming. Uh, they were in Canada for the woods, but they also built a woods on set and they built the cabin on set too. Yeah. And uh, he said it's funny because some of the woods in the on set forest looked more realistic through the windows than they did outside (laughs) i know it's because they have full control they can manipulate anything they need to yeah they can manipulate the lighting which i think is also kind of interesting because the the one-way mirror that we're about to see um is not a true one-way mirror it's um a mirror on one side and then it's like they swapped out the glass for yeah they swapped out the glass for for a window for the shooting depending on what they needed to do and somebody um, on IMDb pointed that out as a goof and it wasn't I mean it's kind of a goof in that it doesn't match the way a real one-way mirror works but it's the reality of the equipment they were working with yeah. so I thought that was kind of interesting um, and we only find out about the one-way mirror because the painting that's in the room is gross as shit and creepy as shit and apparently the whole cast and crew also thought it was gross and creepy as shit it so was, it was made specifically for the movie too yeah um, so, so Holden pulls it down, sees the one-way mirror, and he has a moment where he's like, oh, God, she's about to get naked. But then he does the right thing. 
and he lets her know, and they end up swapping the rooms, which I guess the government people didn't do quite enough research on Holden because they're like, we need a scenario change. They swapped rooms. Um, but I guess they were at least had something back up prepared for that. Yeah, they had the whole cabin rigged so they could manipulate them however they needed to. Yeah. Uh, we find out that little things like uh, Jules is actually pre-med, so she's also got a really intense major. So it's a smart group of people here. Yeah. And apparently Holden is also really smart. He knows Latin and uh, Kurt calls him egghead because Kurt is becoming more and more of like the meathead jock stereotype as we go on. Uh, most notably in the way he starts referring to all the ways he wants to fuck Jules in front of his friends. He likes to use the term like pounding away a lot, which is just uncomfortable to listen to. And clearly it's something that they don't, say in front of their friends a lot because everybody just looks really uncomfortable with it. Yeah, Marty's like, I didn't even like hearing that. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was also kind of interesting too that we swapped it out male gaze to female gaze because when they swap rooms, Dana has like half a second too where she's watching Holden through the mirror. I thought she was going to just straight up leave it there, which I would have been like, wow, that's kind of shitty. The dude did you a favor and you do that. Although it seemed like he was kind of stripping for her on purpose. Because he got in there and he's like, yep, I'm getting naked yeah, immediately. Yeah, he was immediately like, he was like, hey, baby. Yeah. Look at these abs. Exactly. <laughs> got the little V thing, too. <laughs> so then they, they're all going to go to the lake and they're just, you know, typical little lake fun. It's nothing really super significant here other than just watching them splash around because you can't have it a cabin in the woods mo movie without people going to the lake. Even if people are at the cabin in the middle of winter, they still find an excuse to get on a boat in the water. It always happens. Yeah. If you're if you're in a cabin in the woods, there's some sort of body of water and you're going to get near it. That's the rule of the horror movie. We see that there is uh, bedding going on back at the government headquarters. They're trying to see which... Uh, well, we don't know what they're betting on yet. Truman is not happy about it he doesn't like that this is kind of a spectator thing and you know it's basically explained to him that the whole thing is is rigged as much as they can but it's still up to these sacrifices to choose what their punishment is and that is the point it's meant to be a punishment for their transgressions uh we go back to the cabin and they're playing truth or dare and jules gets dared to make out with a moose head but it's <laughs> It's not a moose head. Marty's just really high. It's a wolf. I got in the behind um, the scenes. Joss Whedon didn't even like. He's just like, yep, and there's the moose. <laughs> um, but they they made the taxidermy wolf head. And it wasn't really a taxidermy wolf head, but they made the prop of it for the scene, and they actually coated it in sugar. So that way, when um, Anna Hutchinson, the actress, was making out with it, it wouldn't be you know, gross latex or whatever it's made out of. She goes hard on this thing. She's giving it tongue, and it's a pretty long make-out session for a moose. I, I do kind of like the funny little moment she has where she's, like, flirting with it before. Yeah, I like that, too. I thought that was funny. Kind of takes some of the weirdness out of the fact that your friend just asked you to make out with a taxidermied animal head. I think that that's a fine dare because you don't think somebody's going to just straight up weigh it on like she did. <laughs> but, you know, that little thing was fine. If she would have just left it at that and then like a quick little kiss, it would have been fine. But kind of made everybody feel awkward just watching her like tongue this fucking 
head of a wolf. <laughs> well, after that, we because uh, so so this is where we see that she's like, you know, they've said that her cognition is slowing down at this point thanks to the hair dye. They're kind of gradually pumping in um, pheromones and stuff into the cabin to increase libido, and we see this next because Jules um, challenges Dana Truth or Dare, and then Kurt. Is just he's just being an asshole about it. Um, like there's a one way to be like, oh come on, Dana, we all know you're gonna choose this, but then this is what's gonna happen. He's like, I'm just gonna skip straight to it because you're a pussy, and let's just go ahead and call it truth. Um, <laughs> I think that some friends can interact that some way. Some friends can, but we haven't seen that from this group of people. You know what I mean? It's a very quick change from the way he was talking to her earlier. Yeah, well, she didn't. She seemed to be upset by it, but I don't know. I guess Cause it, yeah, because it was way harsher than it normally is. Because all he, he said, dare or truth. That you know. that would have been fine. That's and what then, he said. No, I'm. I mean, I know he like explained it later. He's like, yeah, because you, we all know you're gonna say dare, and it's not gonna be something that you really want to do. So you said, gonna pretend like you actually wanted to do truth all along. Yeah, the way he, it's the way he says it. He's a dick about it. Yeah. It's one thing to be like, okay, yeah, Dana's going to do dare. But like, I don't know. He's just, he's a dick about it. And again, you can see, like, I think the rest of the cast does a pretty good job of being kind of uncomfortable with the way things are being said. And it makes me think of like, you, you've you been in that situation with um, friends too, where they just get like too drunk or too stoned or whatever. And they're just kind of being assholes. Yeah. And I'm sure, like, and that's kind of what they try and write it off as. Dana even says later, like, Kurt's just drunk. And Marty's like, no, he doesn't, like, he's on a full scholarship and he's got this nerdy major. Why is he calling Holden an egghead? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Why is Jules just dancing around? Like, she doesn't have anything interesting to say. Like, it, he he brings up their, their uh, behavior changes and Dana's willing to just write it off as people being drunk. Yeah, and you can tell everybody's super affected by whatever they're doing there like they have full control over them cognitively because like right after this the cellar door pops open and they're like whoa what's that oh it must have been the wind and like, it's like it, the fucking wind what are you talking about but nobody it, seems to it question pops it pops open yeah like there's a lot of ways i think you can trick yourself into thinking the wind does weird stuff in the house but that it's like like it's super aggressive it's exactly like evil dead that's how it happens in yeah evil dead. yeah exactly so we go downstairs and they're looking around and they're seeing all of these different totems which we're gonna find out are how they choose how they how they transgress is whichever item they choose so we for sure and i'm sure there are more items um they uh we were we really wanted to try and write down more of these things while we were watching it, but the basement's pretty darkly lit. Yeah. And we were going back and rewinding at a lot of other scenes too. But the main ones that we see the characters handling, there's a shell, which we're pretty sure is meant to call the mermaid, and yeah. we find we, is confirmed later. It's Merman. Merman. We see an economicon um journal type thing. Which is, is what they get. Yeah, it's what yeah. they end up reading out of. See a little puzzle box. Yeah, the little puzzle ball, which is an obvious like Hellraiser uh, connection. We see some film reels that Marty's going through. 
We see a necklace that Jules is playing with. There's a little ballerina box that's meant to go to the Sugar Plum Fairy. But yeah, 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 those those are the main ones that I made a note of. Um, Those are the ones that they all interacted with. So we can go in any type of any of those movies. Yeah, we and we'll we'll see a board later, and we're going to read out the list of everything on the board when we get to it. Um, And I think so. We see these items that the characters specifically interact with. Then we see the bigger board, which you know, okay, there's this many more options. So they're probably there were about two dozen options that they could have chosen from. Yeah. But then later when we see the stable where they keep all of their horrors, there's even more than that. So I think they have it set up where they've got a bunch of different fail safes, but they're not using their whole arsenal all at once. Right. Um, that's just kind of my theorizing that makes sense but the basement looks jam-packed because there are other things that you see in there like there's a wedding dress and we see on the board that there's something called the bride yeah um so there's a whole bunch of different options and i I think it's interesting they chose to highlight those and it's just like it's a fun little game to play and i try and pay attention to different things every time i go back and watch this so the next time we watch this it'll probably be me like wanting to go frame by frame in the basement scene but it is really darkly lit so it's hard to see that's why we need something better than dvd but yeah so dana starts reading from the journal she's the first one to actually do it because like we have this whole tense moment where like kurt's about to blow into the cotton shell or they're about to wind up the um ballerina box because kurt actually has two he messes around kurt has the he has the puzzle box. Oh, he has the puzzle box. Who has the ballerina box? Holden? I think it's Holden. Holden, yeah. Kurt starts off with the shell. He's about to blow into it. Then he picks up the puzzle ball. Holden's got that. Um, Jules is about to put on the necklace. Like, they're all about to do it. But then Dana reads out loud first from the journal. She's reading, like, um, Patience Buckner's recollections of what's happening. Um, they're like a pain-worshipping family. Um, was it zombie mutant inbred family or something like that? Uh, zombie redneck torture family. That's it, yeah. She gets to a part that's written in Latin, and I wrote, don't read the fucking Latin, and then Marty goes, whatever you do, do not read the Latin. <laughs> and then you hear a, read it, yeah. read it out loud. So, like, I think that's so funny because he hears it and nobody else hears it, and I wonder if it's, like, really subtle or if they're all just too fucked up from the drugs and the um, alcohol. It's outright being said. Like, if you weren't under influence, you would be hearing that very clearly. I mean, Marty is under an influence. Not that influence, (laughs) Not the influence they want. We cut back to the headquarters after the Latin has been read, and we see that Maintenance and Ronald the intern have won the betting pool. And the zombie redneck torture family has won. And somebody's like, hey, I had zombies. And he's like, yeah, you had zombies, but it's different. It's about the same as elephant and elephant seals. And I also wrote it's the same as the difference between witches and sexy witches because both are listed on the board. And to that end, I am going to read our board list out loud. We'll see if we can put together what movie these belong to. Because some of them are straight up references. So we've got Werewolf, Alien Beast, Mutants, Wraiths, Zombies, Reptilius, Clowns, Witches, Sexy Witches, Demons, Hellord, Hellraiser, Angry Molesting Tree, Evil Dead, Giant Snake, Deadites, Evil Dead again. <laughs> what of Evil Dead stuff in this movie? Kevin! We think Kevin is Jason. Yeah, (laughs) we think he's a Jason type thing. Makes sense. 
Um, mummy, the bride, scarecrow folk, snowman, dragon bat, vampires, dismemberment goblins, sugar plum fairy, merman, the reanimated, unicorn, the huron, sasquatch, wendigo, yeti, all written as one, dolls, the doctors, redneck torture zombie family, jack-o'-lantern, and giant. So based off of what they had, they could have gotten the hell razor guy. The Hell Demon. Hell Lord. Hell Lord. They could have gotten Hell Lord. They could have gotten Merman. They could have gotten Sugar Plum Fairy, which is, I think, what the ballerina was. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure what the necklace would have been. Um, but the film, I was also trying to figure out what that one would have been, too. Because nothing on that board really matched anything. Maybe it was one of those things. We see later on, I want to say it's maybe the dolls when they're like killing people i think they've got a camera with them oh really i think so oh, okay. like they're like a strangers-esque type family we think that the dolls um are the people in the doll face masks yeah like at the, very the end blank white mask yeah that yeah. look kind of like the strangers that's what i that's what i thought anyway because everybody refers to the one stranger as doll face yeah and it's a trio of them so that's that's the connection I make. I don't know if there's canon written somewhere of what it actually is meant to be. Yeah, I don't know what the necklace would have been other than like a demon or a witch. Maybe sexy witches. Sexy witch. <laughs> I want to I know more about the sexy witches. Yeah, I know. Me too. Okay, so anyway, uh, that's where we find out that the monsters are in the stable, as it's referred to, and they're all remnants of the old world, which is what the ancient ones want to watch. The Buckners have a 100% clearance rate, so it's a good thing that they picked them, and maybe it is a little bit skewing it in favor by having them being at the Buckner house, so that way the Buckners do get chosen, possibly. Well, there could have been anything. There could have been anything. I just, you know... And then this is where we see the shot of Japan where the kids are in the classroom being, you know, attacked by the spirit or whatever. Uh, We go back and we see Jules is sexy dancing for the fireplace. Uh, (laughs) Kurt is talking about one a banger again. He's just dancing around Um, with the beer in his hand. Yep. Uh, Marty is very suspicious of everything, but he's also hot as fuck. So it's hard to take him seriously at all. Um, cause he just, uh, everybody's had that friend that gets high and starts rambling and you're just like, like, cause he's been, he's been smoking all fucking day. Yeah. All fucking day. But at a point, whenever you're smoking like that, you're, you become like Snoop Dogg to where that is just <laughs> you, that's, you've gotten so used to it. But this is the part where he starts, he expresses his theory about them being puppeteers. Cause this is the scene where. Kurt calls him an egghead or something like that because mm-hmm. he's tra- talking about how odd things are there. And no, he calls Holden an egghead because Holden's reading the Latin. That's it. Okay, yeah. yeah. And then, yeah, he's... Yeah. Um, well, we see Kurt and Jules. They go out into the woods. And I think this is interesting because they're... Um, they are watching back at headquarters and Jules, you know, Kurt's trying to get Jules to get naked and she's like, it's cold. 
So they actually control the temperature. And they put out like some fog that's really a pheromone mist. And then she says, it's really dark. Let's just go back to the cabin. So then they turn up the moonlight. Like they're doing all of these little things um, to make sure that like the mood isn't ruined because it's really important for Jules to be the first killed. She has to be the first sacrifice. It's part of like their ritual rules. Yeah. And... Tits are mandatory in this universe. They're required because the ancient ones are watching. Um, I also really like Bradley Whitford's uh, fairly deadpan delivery of score. We see Jules and Kurt get attacked and like basically the whole Buckner family, like a couple of them are holding Kurt back so he can't save Jules and Jules is like literally like ritually sacrificed because she's like, forced down onto her knees and her throat is slit and actually her head gets cut off. We find out later. Um, but it is fairly gruesome. The family is super um, intimidating, especially the yeah. big one, the dad. I would like to watch a movie of these guys right here. If, if this movie had like went on the rest of the way like this, we have two separate versions where we get the, like, you know what we watch. And then we can also watch one where it's just straight up this horror movie that they made. I would be so into that because it was, so, you know, it's really creepy. Yeah. I liked it a lot. And they, they say like this little offering type prayer and then they like pull this lever that puts the blood down into the thing. It's very ritualistic and it's meant to be. Um, yeah. Marty is uh, reading Little Nemo in his bed <laughs> and then he hears a voice uh, Get on topsy-turvy. <laughs> saying, uh, to go for a walk and he's like i'm not gonna go for a walk and then he starts to go for a walk yeah so i thought it was funny that he still like heard that the voice was happening but he was just like i need to go for a walk yeah. still he, he had this whole tirade about not being a puppet beforehand too which is extra funny as he's starting to walk out he barely makes it before kurt runs back and he is like no you get inside now and he's freaking out and uh He's like, we got to leave. And Dana's like, I'm not going to leave without Jules. And he's like, but there is no Jules left. Like, we got to go. And when Dana opens the door, uh, Pa Buckner is there and throws Dana, uh, throws Jules' head to Dana. And then oh, everybody yeah. realizes that uh, shit has gone down. And then they're all sitting there like, okay, cool. We're going to um, we're gonna barricade the doors. We're going to barricade the windows. We're going to stick together. That's what's most important right now. And, of course, back at headquarters, they're like, fuck. Yeah. They shoot Kurt with a blast of some kind of pheromone or whatever. He's like, no, this isn't right. we got to split up, cover more ground. And Marty's like, what the fuck are you talking about? That's stupid. <laughs> um, but when they do that, we also get to see this nice scene of uh, Marty finding the camera in his bedroom. Because uh, apparently they've all just gone to their own individual bedrooms to barricade. And uh, he's like, I'm on reality TV. My parents are going to think I'm such a burnout. <laughs> yeah. They're getting ready to like pump some Thorazine into his room because, and this is where we find out that like he's had like his pot has been laced, but they don't know why it's not having an effect on him. But then they they don't have to uh, give him the Thorazine after all because Judah Buckner shows up and pulls him out of the room, and we see like this little moment where he like uh, extends his, uh, his thermos bomb. bong. Yeah um and tries to hit him with it which they actually made a foam replica for the scene so they had to use it for a stunt because the the real thing was actually like actual steel um so they had a foam one for when he was fighting but judah appears to get him dana and holden find a trap door in the room 
And when they jump down it, they see it's like the black torture room from Patience's diary. And so that's creepy as it is. And then it's even creepier when a Buckner reaches in and attacks Holden with a fucking uh, bear trap on a chain. Yeah, that's his weapon of choice. Which, holy shit. Yeah, it's gruesome <laughs> as fuck. Um, but Dana ends up saving him and uh, kills the Buckner and just like stabbing the absolute fuck out of him, which good for her. Good for her. But the thing is, I don't know if it actually kills him, does it? Because we see later on whenever the other one gets dismembered that even like its hand is still alive. I'm going to be honest. I don't even know how many Buckners there are. I think there's like four or five. There's, there's several. Um, yeah. There's several of them. And I had a hard time keeping track of who was who. So I didn't really pay much attention. I just know Prudence and I knew like the giant dude. Cool. You didn't even know Prudence because her name's Patience. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) So Kurt comes down and he gets Holden and Dana and they go to the Rambler and um, they're, they're making their escape. Meanwhile, back at headquarters, we see that the Japanese children have turned the demon into a happy little frog. It's so cute. They just like circle around the ghost and chant and then it just kind of goes into this little thing and turns into a frog. And that's it. Now the United States is the only one left. Yep. Which really sucks because the tunnel that they're about to, that uh, Dana, Holden, and Kurt are about to drive through has not detonated the way it's supposed to. So it's... uh, it's this whole tense scene, which we're like, at this point, you're like, I felt kind of torn where I'm like, oh, shit, what's going to happen? Is he going to hotwire the detonation in time? Because Sitterson has run to the other side of the facility and is putting it all together. Yeah. And like, I'm feeling tense. And then I'm like, wait, are they the bad guys? And then like, who's the bad guys in this film? I think the headquarters are the bad guys, but also kind of not. Like, they're just trying to save the world. It's a whole trolley problem type of thing. Like, what's five lives against the whole world? And Yeah. But this is also needlessly sadistic. And then the ancient ones are clearly the bad guys. And I just... You can get really it's philosophical this, thinking about yeah. this. <laughs> but it's this whole thing where, like, I'm just tense watching it because I'm watching them... Wanting the kids to get away. But I'm also watching Sitters and I'm like, is he going to detonate it? I don't know what's going to happen. Like, Yeah. But he does end up managing to detonate it while they're in the tunnel. And there's like this fucking impeccable high speed reverse by Kurt. Like he is so straight, so fast with it. At one point he sticks his head out the window and I'm like, you are for sure going to hit your head on the side of the tunnel doing that. So what would have happened if they killed him in that? Would that have been fine and they that would have been the end of it? I think, well, okay. So, yes, if Marty had actually died. Oh, well, yeah, I know that. Yeah, much. because I, that's the, going assuming yeah, that were the case. Because the whole reason, and this is jumping ahead a bit, but the whole reason that the detonation was canceled by upstairs was because Marty had not actually died. In just the same way that Jules had to be the first one to die, Dana has to be the last one left. And she doesn't have to die necessarily. She just has to suffer. The death is like an either or thing. So I think at this point she's suffered um, just, you know, some trauma and everything uh, with everything that's happened. But I think, um, you know, if Marty had died and they died in the tunnel, that would have been 
that would have been it i, I guess think. yeah I, I figured that would have been the case i just didn't know if the gods because the whole thing is about i mean the ultimate goal is for them to all die but you also have to put on a show yeah so I yeah um so Kurt, um, because there are they're trapped on this one side of the tunnel. There's like a ravine, and it's like too big for them to really get across. But Kurt, I guess, like does a lot of motocross. Yeah, he, type stuff. He, he jumps gaps. He like evil yeah. Knievel's stuff. Yeah. His bike. Um. So his uh his Knievel gets eviled though because there's a force field. The same one the bird ran into earlier. Yep. And this is where Dana's like she you know she believes Marty now. She's like this is we're we're all puppets like there's well, what puppeteers. Else would you think yeah. Whenever you see no. a fucking force field. I get it. But um, Holden is you know he talks her down. He's like look we're gonna get back in the Rambler and we're gonna drive. It, we eventually have to get somewhere, right? We'll we'll go past the cabin and we'll find another road out of here. We just have to stick together. Um, and then Holden, as he is driving, gets stabbed in the neck, which I thought was a Friday the 13th callback because it was very similar to the way several characters have died on Friday the 13th. That's true. It's usually through a bed with Friday the 13th, but, you know, whatever. It, it was a very similar type of imagery, though. My question is, where was this fucking zombie at the entire time that they were driving... The RV. Like the redneck torture zombies have like a, a sense of um, elegance. They're quiet. They're hanging out in the RV waiting for the right time to, to attack. Possibly. But that causes the RV to kind of steer off course and then they go into the lake that they were swimming in earlier. Dana ends up getting out only to find the fucking giant zombie waiting for her. And uh, this is when everybody starts celebrating because they think that it's over with. I thought it was such a nice scene, like that juxtaposition of like watching her get tossed around, but then like you hear the upbeat music and people yeah. are celebrating. You even hear like normal party banter, like a dude hitting on a girl unsuccessfully, and like so. Where, yeah. What are your summer vacation plans? Like, so I, no, he's got tickets for the go see your oh. favorite show, and she's just walking away. <laughs> yeah, um, so so that's a nice scene, um, but like this is where they're finding out, like you know, because uh, Hadley and Citizen are like. Uh, too bad you almost dropped the ball in the demolition. They're like, seriously, we never got the orders. And then the phone rings, and that's when you find out that somebody's still alive. And that's why the demolition had been called off. I like the bit of dialogue before all that, though. So um, what's um, what's the other dude? The guy that wants the merman? What's Hadley. Name? Hadley. He's, this entire movie, he's been talking about how he's always wanted to see the merman, which is, makes it even more funny whenever Kurt had the conch before, and it didn't happen, and then... You know, they're like partying there. He's like, yeah, this is pretty cool, but it would have been better with the merman. <laughs> he's like, so close. They had the shell. Yeah. <laughs> Never like, going to get to see it. He's bummed out. He has to be comforted by his friend. <laughs> Dana gets saved by none other than Marty. With his bong. Still alive with his bong. Yeah. And he takes her back to the secret room and he has found an elevator. And he's like, I'm going to override this shit. And so they get in there. And he overrides it, and we, like, go through this whole tour. So we, like, this scene backs out, and as Travis, the uh, snob, likes to point out, because we didn't have the highest possible rendering of this. We it makes a difference. We couldn't make in out the, every character. In this character. scenario, it makes a difference. Um, but what we were able to see during this, this elevator ride is a werewolf, a wraith, sugar plum fairy. That's a little ballerina girl with the mouth for a face um pinhead aka the hell lord 
Uh, we see a giant spider, a giant snake. We see a clown. We see creepy twins. We see the regular wolves. We see what I think is a demon. There's some zombies. There's like this big monster thingy that looks like a, a mechanical scorpion with like a buzzsaw tail. Mm -hmm. um, there's like a centipede. There's somebody that I think might be the bride. Um, and then we see the merman kind of very briefly. And then... They get off the elevator and they find this butt, like they get into the control room where they can hit the button and release all the beasts. And this is where I wrote that Joss rips off Joss because there is an episode in season four of Buffy the Vampire Slayer with the initiative. And basically they've got all of the demons in Sunnydale have been rounded up and they get let loose in the same kind of like underground government bunker type situation where they're trying to control all of these evil forces yeah. and all hell breaks loose and all of these government people that are trained apparently aren't trained super well um on how to well, handle specific here's my thing here's my thing with all of this okay so we see all of these personnel come out with these guns right but we know from watching horror movies that guns don't kill all of these evil creatures, right? You've got to figure well, out what each creature's they individual weakness is. They weren't anticipating that. But they should have. No, so what They happened, should have been better prepared. The one guy came down there and he opened up the elevator and he was holding the gun at Marty and Dana. And then suddenly from where Marty had the one that attacked him, I think you said it was judo or whatever, um, he had them all cut up in the elevator and he was like nothing but like a moving hand at that point and then the hand grabs the security guard and he freaks out and starts shooting the hand and then this gives them the opportunity to tackle the security guard and knock him out and steal his gun. So these people that are coming into the situation there aren't really aware that they're about to have every single fucking monster that's stored there unleashed on them at one time. With most of these things, I think that they could have apprehended them with some firepower, but whenever you have every single monster, like fucking dragons and just zombies and everything like that, you can't really... I'm just saying, I feel like it's a little bit realistic, unrealistic that these people that work with these supernatural forces all day long for years on end think that a gun is going to answer all their problems. Is it a bunch of Republicans down there? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But anyway, at this point, um, this is where we start seeing some of these additional creatures, such as the evil molesting tree. Yes. Um, we see the witch. We see reptilius. We see goblins. We see the dragon bat. Um, we see the dolls, something called the doctors, who we assume is Kevin at one point. We see Kevin. We see the unicorn. We see Patience Buckner. We see, did I write Scarecrow Family down twice? No, I didn't. Okay, we see the Scarecrow family. Um, and uh, guess how... And, like, all of these people are just killing everybody in the headquarters and all these, like... You see these security camera shots of these gruesome deaths. You see um, Marty and Dana running through the hall catching glimpses of these gruesome deaths. It's a lot. Did you mention the clown? Yes. We saw the clown before we opened up the elevators. The clown is here too. He has yeah. his own little scene. The clown's fucking creepy. Clown, I am a yeah. sucker for creepy clowns. And yeah. if we got a movie of that clown. Still sitting in front of three clown paintings. <laughs> yep, I love it. It's amazing. But creepy clowns are my shit. That clown was fucking scary. I want to see a movie of that clown. 
But the cool thing about this scene is you get a mixture of all kinds of genres of horror movies, all within the span. So it's basically the rest of this movie. So you get yeah, it for it's like, like the 15 last 15 minutes. minutes. Yeah. yeah. And it's amazing. Like it, it works. I mean, because it's just basically homage after homage to all these classics. Yeah. Well, um, they've finally breached down. I guess like the room that the the control room where they were running this their ritual was, I guess, like the farthest and the safest or most secure or whatever. And even it gets breached. And um, there's an explosion as Truman sacrifices himself. Um, I guess the scarecrows. Yeah. The scarecrows are attacking him and he pulls the pin on a grenade. So that way he can at least um, kill some of those. And it blows Hadley over to the side and through the mist crawling towards him is the merman <laughs> it's such a good scene and it's the fucking ugliest thing ever it really is so it's not like a you know a mermaid you think it's like the top half of a woman and bottom half of a fish this is like the top half of like a fucking fish with arms of a man and still it's got the fish bottom yeah it eats him to death and blows its fucking blood through his blowhole yep dana and marty have um because they they've managed to find the sacrifice room and the director is down there. Um, and the director, uh, played by Sigourney Weaver, kind of describes how, you know, the the sacrifice, the ritual is different in different cultures. And it changes over time. But youth is always involved. The horror always dies first. And the virgin must always suffer. And I think that's kind of interesting that she mentions that, like, there are so many things that change in different cultures and there are so many things that change through time, but there's so many consistencies and that's really, that's definitely meant to be a commentary on how horror the, as a genre itself yeah. evolves. And I, I don't think it's always young people and I don't think we always have these archetypes, but we do have them often enough. And I think that's partially, um, partially just like a function of human nature. I mean, that's the term psychologists use. You build archetypes in your brain based on, you know, familiar clues and patterns you put together. That's how your brain operates. And it's easy to make those types of shortcuts when you have to fit a story into such a short amount of time. So you give these little clues, these little nods that help you see what this character is meant to be so you know you see like this guy talking about wanting to fuck his girlfriend and calling his friend an egghead oh, okay he's the jock like those are all the cues you need yeah um so i think it's kind of interesting that you know we, we get this little nod to what these stereotypes are and i do think that they are constantly evolving and why they may not always be um present in every horror movie when you think to the really successful ones you know those more experimental ones they're People like us love that type of stuff. We love to go deeper into the genre. We like to watch new things. And But to the casual fans, the people that are going to make up the box office numbers, a.k.a. the success, mm -hmm. you're going to have more of a formula. Horror yeah. is already kind of a divisive genre for the general public and straying outside of something that people expect. Although the rare innovative one usually is the one that becomes the biggest hit. You get some of those big ones, um, like Hereditary. That was it was experimental. It was more indie, but it was kind of refreshing. Same thing with Midsummer. Um, Robert Eggers has done it here recently with The Lighthouse. Um, I'm not going to say The Witch because <laughs> nope. But you know, 
And even with some of the shittier movies, like a lot of people try and follow that formula and it doesn't necessarily always work because sometimes that's kind of the weak parts of it. Yeah. But I just, I don't know. I think that was meant to be like a a commentary. But yeah, yeah, so anyway, uh, Dana ends up not shooting Marty, even though... She, she's she has that similar moment of like it's the whole world i think she would have i think she would have if he hadn't let the werewolf attack her yeah but instead they they go down smoking together she didn't even know if she was gonna shoot him she's like i probably wouldn't have shot you <laughs> <laughs> um so that is it that's our discussion of the movie and i think what we're gonna do i have a screenshot some of my favorite negative reviews from imdb and reddit um these are based on a mixture of um points that travis and i probably wouldn't necessarily have thought of ourselves or that we feel like we can clearly articulate our arguments against um some of them are just funny Uh, (laughs) and um, we're just going to talk about that we're not going to read out like usernames for that because we're not these are all just like, you know, these are forums, they're discussion forums and people are there to share their ideas. And in any debate, it's important to debate the idea and not the person. So we're not going to read out usernames. If you hear your comment read and you're offended that I didn't read your username, let me know and I will rectify it in a future episode. Or fight me on Twitter. Or fight Travis on Twitter <laughs> over the right to your own username. Yeah. So I'm going to do the horror ones first um, from r slash horror, a.k.a. Dreadit. I like it quite a bit. I love the meta twist of it all. So good. And Bradley Whitford was awesome in it. Go watch The Good Guys if you get a chance. Dude is a riot and a great character actor. But I do think it's a bit overrated on some levels. Unpopular opinion, I know. There's just too much bad CGI going on. And the pacing in the scenes where the monsters all escape is kind of superhero flick unbelievable. And, well, most of the carnage isn't very terrifying. The ending is the part that kills it the most for me. The giant cartoon hand. The eldritch gods demanding human sacrifice or Greek titans or something? Leftovers from God of War 2? They seriously need to recut that with something more imaginative and insane. I mean, it's good, but it's nowhere near the eighth best horror flick of all time. That's madness. This is on a thread um, where this was like rated eighth. Oh, they do. Yeah. Dread does like a yeah. group poll. Yeah. yeah. So I guess we'll go ahead and address the... So he said CGI. CGI was bad. Yeah. I didn't think it was bad. I really, I didn't think, there were a couple of moments where I was like, mm, that could have been a little bit better. Um, it's just for like quick things. Yeah. You're not going to go all out on the fucking dragon or bat, you know, in like a five second segment, you know? Yeah. Oh, um, but like, what was it? It was some behind the scenes thing where they did like the hand shooting up. They actually did like a tiny little model scale for the, uh, the cabin thing i think i remember i think i remember seeing this on youtube somewhere was that an actual person's hand um no it was an actual person's hand but like to in order to shoot it the way they wanted to that's what they did so that way they could make like the carnage and everything for the cabin and they had they did cgi the trees but they couldn't cgi all of them because it wouldn't have looked natural so they had to create some like explosion i thought the hand was cgi so the hand was cgi oh okay um and that's such a quick shot too you don't really get anything of that unless i'm thinking of something completely different I might, I don't know if I'm thinking of a different movie, but I don't know other movies that have pine trees just... I thought you were going to say cabins in the woods. I was like, oh, really? (laughs) I don't know any. (laughs) Hmm. 
Mm. Um, I'm going to go ahead and uh, argue about that thing, too. Is it Was that their next point, the whole ending of it? Yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't mind it. I thought it was kind of... It caught me off guard, honestly, because you don't really know what's going to happen. And then it's so abrupt the way that the hand just kind of comes out and like, the movie just ends. I like that it's not set up for an obvious sequel. That's yeah. so refreshing. It was just, that's I don't know how you would do a sequel of this movie either. I think the most you could do is a prequel. Like, I would love to watch... Actually, I don't think I would want to watch a full movie of it, but I would watch, like, a mini featurette of them, like, preparing for the ritual. Actually, no, this... You could turn this whole thing into like an anthology type thing. Like we could watch the Japan movie. We could watch whatever was happening over in any other country in the world, you know? That's true. Is that your dream sequel? Yes. My dream sequel is the featurette of them preparing. My, it's a dream prequel, actually. Okay. <laughs> them preparing this. Okay. That'd be cool. <laughs> okay. Um, what do you think about the pacing during the whole... I thought it was fun. I thought it was nice. The whole point is for it to just be pure chaos going on. Yeah. I think if it had been any slower, it would have been like gratuitous. It gives you enough time to like appreciate the little nods that they're doing throughout this whole thing and not linger on it for too long because you still have to tell the story here. Because if you broke down every little thing that was happening there, I think you would have had like a three hour movie here. Um, or two hours at least. It's not yeah. even. Yeah. Um, when I saw this movie, it had been hyped up to me by some friends of mine who knew how much I loved horror. Best horror movie in years. You'll definitely love it. Whatever you think it's going to be, it isn't. And it's amazing. I was so excited when I finally got to watch it and I was super disappointed. Yes, there's a whole bunch of off-brand references to famous horror characters and such, but the movie as a whole just didn't do it for me. The references is like the least important part of this thing. The whole thing is the commentary on horror movies in general. Yeah, I, yeah. I think hmm. I I can see how like you would go in wanting to see something. If you're hearing that this is a super unique take on see, horror, I could see issue. why that would be misleading. You, this is a thing that you don't want to say anything about. You just if you're trying to get somebody to watch it, and especially with this person right here, if you already knew that they like horror movies, just say go watch this movie. You will appreciate it. Yeah, I feel like they just they were set up wrong for yeah. it. Yeah. So it's I, like I people feel who always overhype movies or shows to other people, and then you're automatically disappointed when it's not. It's like how you have everything spoiled for you all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Two more from Dreadit. Um, I worry that this will come off as contrarianism, but I really kind of loathe this movie. I definitely don't think it's in the top ten horror films of all time. Satire feels like a lot. Uh, less like a loving jab at slashers and more like Joss Whedon deriding them for being dumb. Scream was made over a decade prior and not only is it less obvious and in your face, it actually works as a horror movie while satirizing them. Not scary is often lazy criticism, but Cabin just never feels like it's even trying to be scary. I've also seen people saying it's a love letter to the genre, but besides the scenes where the audience is just presented with a bunch of off-brand versions of something they know from other movies, I just don't see it. So I will say... As a fan of both this and obviously as a huge fan of Scream, I think they're both satire, but in very different kinds of ways, because this is, I feel like this is a commentary and um, whatever opinions I might have of Joss as a person and as a director, <laughs> he does clearly love the genre. And I think that comes through in a lot of his work and it, it's just a different way of presenting it and 
I'm, I know not everybody has this opinion and that's fine. If you want horror to be scary, I completely get it. And that's a totally valid way to want to enjoy your horror. But I am fine with not all horror has to be scary to me, especially when it's something like this, which is clearly meant to be horror comedy. Yeah. Um, that's how I feel too. I mean, especially after, if you get into the genre to a certain extent, then nothing really is scary to you anymore. It's kind of hard to find. You're basically chasing the dragon. And and I feel like Scream is a different kind of satire in that like it it's primarily a horror film that has like some meta moments about the genre as a whole. And yeah, it's it, not it, based entirely yeah. off of like a and commentary. And they joke about the rules. They poke fun at the tropes. They do that. They do it within universe. This kind of gives an explanation to why those tropes exist. I can see them. I see satire on a continuum. And I think these are two different complete, different types of satire. And I don't think it's fair to compare them as films, really. No. Unless you're like, hey, I really like horror satire. Which movie should I watch? I would probably list this. Scream. And uh, Tucker and Dale. Tucker and Dale, also uh, Rise of Leslie Vernon. Oh, yeah, Rise of Leslie Vernon's good. Absolutely hate it. The dialogue is awful soy banter that every movie is or tries to be now. The fuck is soy banter? I think it's probably meant to be soy boy banter. What the fuck does it even mean in the context of this movie? There's nothing soy boy about this movie. I don't fucking know, dude. Um, the parodies and pastiches don't add anything to the things they're parodying. It doesn't really have anything interesting or funny to say. It just throws a lot of tropes together and seems to be like, you know this slop, don't you? So they just think it wasn't as elegant as it could have been, which, I mean, it it wasn't. It was fairly action-y, and I'll, I'll give them that, but I don't think it's pretentious, which I think is part of what it's trying to get at. No, I mean, it, from my whole thing, I'm based off here and it sounded like they were wanting it to be something more than what it wasn't trying to be it's just trying to be a horror comedy it's not trying to be anything deep yeah i mean i know we analyzed the shit out of it but it's just a fun movie well i mean there are things there to analyze but you know it's not like it's trying to make a statement it's just poking fun at the genre yeah um so those are all of our dreaded um reviews and obviously we don't have like a one out of ten rating for them but it was uh from this thread i didn't mark how old it was um but it was like their number eight on their list of 100 um on imdb the average rating is seven out of ten which is pretty good for imdb but what i did um was i went to the user reviews section because I always think those are more fun than critic reviews. And I sorted it by rating, and then I sorted it by lowest rating first. And oh, screenshot some of my favorites. Well, everybody always, if they hate it, they, they just put a one star. Yeah. Like, what's the worst one? Um, <laughs> I, I screenshot. Here's, so there's one that's like got some actual good points, and then there's a funny one. Which one do you want to hear first? I want to hear the one with good points. Okay. This one's a little bit longer. I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's a little bit longer. Um, somebody that like wants to be like an actual reviewer. Oh, okay. <laughs> it goes oh, on for fun. a really long yeah. time. Um, so with about a jillion comparisons to Wes Craven's criminally overrated scream, 
Ooh, shots fired <laughs> Off right a away. bad start. <laughs> um, there was no reason to have high expectations for the cabin in the woods. Still, I at least expected a mindlessly entertaining carnival ride of gruesomeness a la Demon Knight or Planet Terror. My expectations were too high. The reason for the Scream comparison stems from the fact that both films exhibit a self-awareness of the cliches and conventions of the horror genre. This comparison is, however, not entirely accurate. As lame a film to ever masquerade as horror film a scream is the cabin in the woods brand of stupidity has more in common with tripes such as mars attacks or even the brady bunch movie what the fuck <laughs> what um <laughs> it's a film that looks and feels like a slightly sinister entry to the abysmal scary movie franchise oh god no another horror comedy that's never scary and never really funny To call it convoluted or contrived would be a massive understatement. It's a flimsy excuse for a premise. It's like a house of urine-soaked cards. Um, So their real problem is that they just just don't don't like horror satire. They just don't find it interesting. They really wanted to to be queer that they don't like Scream either. Like, that's fine. Horror comedy is, it's a weird, it's an odd combination, honestly, if you look at it at its surface, because you're taking two of, like, some of the most heightened emotions a human being can experience and trying to mash them all into one. And a lot of times it does involve some, like, meta commentary. But uh, I, I don't, again, I don't think something has to always be scary to be a good horror movie, especially when you talk horror comedy. Yeah. It's got frightening elements, and it's not one of those that's in your face scary, but that kind of dread of like, cool, the whole world's about to end. Like, that is a scary concept when you take it on its head and you look at it and you think about it. And I don't know. I think it, I think it's a valid enough premise on its own, and could they have taken away the humor from it? Sure, but I think that would have taken a lot of the enjoyability of the film as yeah, well. Yeah, it wouldn't have been fun like that. Um, I don't even think the tension from the potential ending of the world is really that big of a thing. And not at least for me in this movie. Um, I liked, I like the nods to the um, to all the other stuff that's happened. On. I like the zombie redneck family because, like I said, like it doesn't try to be creepy but there are moments where it plays it up straight up as a horror movie like whenever that family's first introduced yeah and that shot whenever they open the door and he tosses her head to um dana like that was it was a pretty fucking scary scene to me at least and it would be so easy to say that the tension is erased by knowing that the game is rigged against these kids but it's really not because we see them almost get away we see this plan backfiring against the headquarters and we yeah and it does end up fully backfiring so uh, i think there's still some tension there it's just it's definitely broken up by a lot more humorous moments than you would typically see but i don't think that the film suffers for it unless you're going in looking to be scared in which case i i don't i don't recommend yeah like I think it's a good movie. I'm and I'm very upfront about the fact that I like horror, but I don't want to watch every single type of horror movie at any given moment. I'm not just gonna slap on a movie. I'm kind of picky about what I want to watch when I want to watch it. Yeah. Um. So. Right. I mean, valid point if that's what you're into. All right. What's the funny one? 
Um, the title is just six question marks. Um, <laughs> this was a weird movie, dot, dot, dot. This movie has to be one of the worst movies I've seen. So this movie starts with a Lionsgate logo. Also, speaking of Lionsgate, they also brought us Shawshank Redemption, and Thor is in this movie? I want to use that hammer on this movie. And a family goes on a trip with Thor, and they stay at a cabin in the woods, and the government is under and owns it? The movie is so confusing. And they get monster to attack the cabin. And they got the government place, and they make the monsters attack the government. Well, this is Hunger Games with a horror twist. I don't know if this is a serious review. Either that or somebody who has zero understanding of what they were getting into. I love it. I love it. I love constantly calling him Thor. I love that the government owns the cabin. I love that the friends are a family. Um, they filmed this movie before Avengers. So um, he wasn't Thor or I looked it, it up. The then. first Thor movie came out in 2011. Just they like this filmed before. This was shelved for a little bit before it yeah. actually premiered. So this was before he was a superhero whenever he actually shot this movie. Not to mention the first two Thor films are very boring. The first one's fine. The second mm. one sucks. I can't mm. even watch it. I've tried watching it two I times. I can't even watch the first one. Third one's amazing, though. Third one's amazing. But yeah, no, I just like that uh, that guy's writing style. That was a very stream of con- I feel like they were doing like voice to text and they were just like rambling about the movie. And they're like, I don't even know what happened. Thor was there and there was a family in a cabin and monsters. Mark Zuckerberg. Mark Zuckerberg. Let's <laughs> call back to Game Grumps. Um, so that's it. IMDb ranked it a 7 out of 10. Um, Dreadit rated it 8 out of 100, which is not really a real rating scale. Uh, what is our after discussion rating? I don't hate this movie anymore after watching or talking about it. And I don't really think that any of those people brought anything real to the table that I think uh, are legitimate criticisms. I think it's just people who weren't really feeling what they were watching. Yeah, I agree. So, um, they, they I, have their legitimate criticisms for not liking the film, and that's fine because each independent each opinion is uh, individual, and I'm not going to call people's opinions shitty. But, bro, if you don't like horror comedy, don't watch a horror comedy. Yeah, especially if it's like whole premises. Well. If if you didn't know what you're getting into, if you went into this movie blind, like I do recommend, then you aren't gonna know you're gonna be yeah. walking into a horse like comedy or satire. And um, other horror fans, fans of this movie, don't tell somebody who's never seen it that it's like so unexpected and it's a completely new take on the horror film. Just say like, hey, go into it blind. If you want somebody to go into a film blind, just say go into it blind. That's, what That's I the that. kindest thing you can do. Yeah. I, uh, just don't look anything yeah. up. Just watch the movie and don't. I, mean, yeah. I, I know it's hard for a lot of people to do sometimes, but it, a lot of the times it's for the best. I've truly, I've never had somebody be like, watch this movie. And then I'm like, what's it about? And they're like, just go in blind. And I'm like, I don't like doing that. And they're like, trust me, you need to go in blind to appreciate it. I have never had somebody tell me that and me not be like, God damn, I'm glad I went in blind. Yeah. You know, like. This is one of those films, if you meet somebody out there who hasn't seen it and don't tell them what it's about, just tell them to watch it blind if they feel the urge to do so. Are you going to change your score? Nope. No? Nope. Our scores stay the same. Oh, you didn't let me change my score. 
You said you didn't hate it anymore. Uh, I was going to launch into another thing and then oh. I got cut off. <laughs> um, I'm going to bump it up to a 9.5. Oh. Yeah. Well, my score is staying the same. But uh-huh. our average went up. I think Talia gives this film an 8. Um, she did scratch at uh, 32 minutes and then she wanted to watch some kids playing basketball. So I think she had an enjoyable time watching it. She also got into it and did her little toy throwing around stuff. Yeah, So exactly. yeah, she liked it. Yeah, so I think she's going to give it an eight. Um, so what's, what's the who... total score? The oh, aggregation. Nine. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, she had, you also average. did point five. Yeah. Okay. Um, who did you relate to the most? We forgot to do that for Troll New. That's fine. Oh, I did, didn't we? <laughs> Fuck. Um, Marty. Yeah. Yeah, I like Marty. That's my guy. Mm, I think I relate to Truman because he thinks he's getting involved with a good organization and then he's like, oh, fuck. I'm not saying that about the organization I work at. I'm just like a little bit of an idealist and I could see me like being like, oh, cool. It's an opportunity to help humanity. And then I'm like, what the fuck? You're betting on the deaths of teenagers? You know? Yeah, he plays it straight the entire time, too. Yeah, he does a really good job. Yeah. And that's it for this week. Next week, we will be talking about... Wrong turn. Wrong turn. Jesse doesn't like wrong turn for some reason. It's really stupid because... We'll talk about it next week. It is a Cabin in the Woods movie, by the way. Just trust me, if you don't watch it, before we talk about it next week and then you'll be like yeah that was for fucking cabin in the woods um until then if you just can't get enough of us you can follow us on instagram at least favorite scary movie podcast twitter at least fave pod you can find our facebook page um we have an email address least favorite scary movie at gmail.com so talk to us tell us nice things argue with us give us suggestions we're obviously open to them we've got a patreon if you want to be a frederick level subscriber and learn about our nightmare on elm street coverage months before it comes out free to the public for one single dollar a month um we have an instagram for travis which is groovy commie he is a uh he's a little artist it's so sweet he's got a twitter which is travlol um, you can fight him on that or our account Twitter. Either way, just fight him. Please. Please. He's, um, I walked into the other room the other day and he was practicing his insults. So give him somebody to actually insult and Untie fight him. <laughs> I was just sitting there braiding our poor dog. No, I wasn't. Even if he was, she would have fired back at him 10 times harder. Yeah. Talia is really good at insults. She is. Um, you can follow her on Instagram also at I'll tell you what. If you like what you're doing, one of the best things you can do to help us out is just give us a five-star rating on whatever you're listening on. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell your dog about our podcast. Leave it on while you're at work all day long. We love dogs, so we're not going to say anything bad about dogs on this podcast. Um, And that's it. That's it. We'll see you next week. Bye, guys. Bye.
disappointedness get the better of him because we already know that there's 